have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter number 2. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in those wonderful praises and uh, preparing our hearts for our study in the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, if you need notes this morning, go ahead and you can raise your hand and uh, Brother Moses will get them to you. I believe we have about three left or so, so I, I'm hoping that most of us got them, and, uh, and that way you can follow along as we, as we study this book of 1 Peter. And uh, we started this, uh, this study several weeks ago, and uh, we said that this is a letter written by Peter uh, to the church that was scattered abroad speaking of the hope that we have. In fact, the theme of this letter is a living hope, the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and what that hope means to us and what that hope does for us. And, and so we've been studying that. Uh, we've been going through this letter verse by verse, and, and we want to study the whole thing. And I know we're about halfway through. I was, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, man, we're We've already had like 10 messages and we're still only in chapter two, uh, but I appreciate your patience. I really hope that uh, this, this study has been something of an encouragement to you and uh, we still have half the book to go and, uh, and hopefully there's, there's going to be a lot in these coming weeks that will challenge you in your Christian life, but more importantly, that will encourage you about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 2, let me just give you a quick reminder of what we've studied. In, uh, in the first few verses, we talked about uh, the, the evidence of hope. And, and verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 is kind of a carryover thought from chapter 1. And, uh, and Paul is, or Peter is talking about uh, how there's evidence when there's hope in your life and in your attitude and, and how, you, uh, how you make uh, uh, your relationships in life and how you deal with others and the love that you you display to others. We, we learned that the, the display and the desire that you have for God's word. When, when you have a relationship with Jesus um, and when you have a desire to know God in your life, then uh, just like a baby that loves to drink milk because it, it helps them grow and it kind of comforts them and, it, and, it, and it's just something in their life that is needed and vital, the word of God becomes that for us. And so uh, those that have that hope, the hope of Christ in their life, is evidenced by their desire to grow and, and their love for others. And then we talked about in verse 4 down to verse number 8 of building on this faith, building on this hope that we have. And well, we learned that Jesus is that cornerstone that we build on. Uh, he's the one that gives us the direction of life. He's the one that strengthens us uh, to be able to live out our hope day after day. Verse 9 and 10, we talked about the identity that we have. Peter now says, listen, now that we've built on this hope, notice who you are after that. Notice that our hope changed who we are. It made us a peculiar people, a chosen priesthood, a chosen people. We, we became royal royalty as part of God's family, where there was a time where we were not. When we've received hope, now we are. And so there's a change in identity. Now, when you jump into verse number 11 and verse number 12, we're going to see a transition now. Peter's going to, he's going to move away a little bit from the theological and philosophical declarations and truths to get a little bit more practical. Now, the next section, and it's, it's, it starts right here in chapter 2, verse 11, and it's going to go all the way to chapter 5. 
the rest of this letter, or at least that middle section of the letter, is part of the Bible that many of us don't have a lot of fun in because it's pretty direct. Because Peter's pretty, um, pretty clear. Uh, there's a lot of more commands in this. There's a lot more of, this is what God says. We may not like it, we may not agree with it, but this is what God says. This is how those that have hope should act. And so I just want to warn you in the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into our relationships with government, our relationships with our employers, our relationships in marriage, and what God has to say about that, uh, how the hope that is within us affects all of that. Now, I want to remind us this morning what hope is. When I say hope, what is the hope? Well, we defined it this way, and you can find it there in your notes. You can fill it in. Uh, but uh, the, the, the hope that we have is this, um, this future glory of life that is eternal and full of unrestrained joy with God. It's the future glory. All right, Hope has really not a lot to do with the here and now, but rather the future. But it affects the here and now. Having a future glory affects how we live today. That's, that's what Peter's main point in this, this whole letter is. All right, If we had to melt it down, it would be this. It would be, hey, you have a hope that should affect your life today. It's a future hope. It's a future glory. But it affects your life today. It affects where you are right now. Now, hope. In today's passage of verse 11 and 12, we're going to see that hope affects decisions that we make and our decisions with that hope have consequences hopes decisions and consequences so notice how peter transitioned in his letter look at verse number 11 and by the way i just want to remind you that when peter wrote the letter he wrote the letter just like you and i would write an email or write a letter today. He didn't have verses and chapters, okay? That's, that came way later, and the reason we, our Bibles have verses and chapters because it helps us find uh, where we're studying in the Bible, all right? So uh, you can imagine if, I, if we're studying Isaiah that you know, has 66 chapters, and I just said, hey, we're gonna be in Isaiah today. Go ahead and open your Bibles, and, and look where it says uh, the, the glory of the Lord. That would be really hard to find. That's why chapters and verses help us with that. But I, I, I say that to say, so as you read the letter, just read it as a letter. Don't get caught up too much in the verses. Verses just help us to identify where we're studying. But you'll just notice, just by reading it, how he begins to transition. Okay, how he begins to transition. Notice how he changes his tone. He finished in verse numbers uh, 9 and 10, talking about our new identity. And now he says, verse 11, Now, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, in the life of every Christian, decisions will need to be made. Decisions about every area of life. Decisions about our relationships, decisions about our personal conduct, decisions about our goals, decisions about our purpose, decisions about our practice and everything in between. Decisions must be made in the life of a Christian. So if you have the hope of future glory, which is found in salvation through Christ, 
then there's decisions that you're going to have to make in your life. There's no way to avoid them. Now, I remember Pastor John, when he came back from Bible college, I think it was first year, second year there, uh, I was in the youth group and he, uh, he brought a few messages while he was here uh, during his uh, Christmas break. And, and uh, I remember he used to say this uh, to us and he said it in the message as he was addressing us teens uh, from a professor that he heard at college. And it was like a, a saying that said, life is choices, choices have consequences, so make the right choice. I never forgot that. Life is choices. Choices have consequences. So make the right choice. In the life of us as Christians, there's decisions, choices that have to be made. And we must understand that according to the choice that we make, we'll reap the consequence of it. Because choices have consequences. That's why it's so vital for you and I to make the right choice in our Christian walk to make sure that we're making decisions according to the hope that is within us. The hope that we've been given. Making life choices according to that perspective and not the perspective of our feelings. Not to the perspective of what the world values, but rather what does the hope that we have lead us to do? What does the hope lead us to to make a decision on? And there's no avoiding this. Uh, There's been creative ways to try to avoid decisions in life. I I heard about um, an older couple, husband and wife. They've been married now for about 30 years or maybe 40 at this point. And um, they had made a decision early in their life. They said, you know, uh, in our marriage, we're going to do this, said the husband. He said, listen, I'm going to make decisions uh, on the major decisions of life. I will decide what we'll do on the major decisions. And you, as my wife, you can make uh, the decisions on the minor things, all right, the minor things. Well, 30 years later or 40 in their marriage, somebody came and asked them. They said, hey, I, I heard that uh, you, you had this arrangement in your marriage that you as the husband would make all the major decisions and your wife would make all the minor decisions. He said, how's that arrangement going? And the husband said, man, it's been great. In all these years that we've been married, I've never had to make a decision. They've all been minor decisions. And sometimes we can get creative on how to try to avoid making a decision. Let somebody else do it. It's not that big of a deal. But in the Christian life, you have to understand that you've got to make that decision. And the decision that you make is a big deal. Now, notice how this works. There's a little bit of a formula in verse 11 and 12 that Peter's going to give us before we jump into the specifics. All right, verse 13, 14, 15, Peter begins to get really specific, okay? But before we get in that, I want you to notice the formula that he uses to make the decisions that he's going to make, to say what he's going to say based on the hope that he has. There's a formula here, and that's what we want to study this morning because that formula is going to help us in our decisions this week. You're going to have to make some decisions in your marriage. You're going to have to make some decisions in your relationships, and that hope that you have is going to help you, but, but you need to know, here, here's kind of how that comes about, how you reach the decisions that you reach. Notice, first of all, if you're taking notes, that in this formula, Peter starts with a mindset, our mindset, all right? He focuses on what is the most 
critical, which is our mindset. The mindset that we have sets the tone for the decisions that we make. In other words, how we look at a situation determines what we decide to do, right? If, if, if your child is, is cut and, and the, it's bleeding really bad, you can't stop the bleeding, well, you're going to look at that situation as an emergency. And because you view that as an emergency, you're going to have to make some quick decisions. Like, what's the nearest hospital? And what does he really need in the meantime as we're going, traveling to the hospital? What, what am I going to do to try to stop and, 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 and get bandage it up while I'm over the, going on my way to, to see the doctor? Now, that same child might the next week fall down in the playground and get a scratch. It might be just a little bit of blood, but nothing big. And the way you're seeing that situation, you're not saying, man, we got to go to the hospital. It's, it's really major. We'd say it's something really minor. In fact, I just put some hydrogen peroxide on it, put a Band-Aid, and we're good. See, how we view a situation determines what we're going to do. That's why Peter starts with this, with this idea of a mindset. Now, Peter, in talking with a mindset, addresses us in the most loving way. One of the things I love about, about reading First and Second Peter is uh, right now in my daily Bible uh, reading, and, and I have daily Bible reading that's not really Bible study. I just want to read the Bible and just have it kind of floating around in my head. And uh, so this past week, I read through the whole book of Matthew and the whole book of Mark. And um, one thing that you'll notice as you're reading Matthew and Mark about Peter is that he's pretty brash, right? He's pretty outspoken. He kind of says what he wants to say. He's really much a, a man's man. But then you read in First Peter and wow, his attitude is so much softer. The way he talks to people and the, the way he's writing is very different from what you see in him in Matthew and Mark. You don't see this guy that's kind of self-confident and, and really, you know, this is who I am. Now you see him a little bit softer. Some experiences in life has, have changed him. And so now he's writing and he's not writing like, hey, you guys, that's not how he's writing. He's not like, you know, a Saturday college football coach trying to get the troops ready, right? Now he's a lot softer. He says, dearly beloved. In other words, people that I love, you that are part of the church, you that have the hope within you, I beseech you. Now I know those are really archaic words for us today. I beseech you. We don't really say that today, but literally what it means is I strongly urge you to. Now, I, I usually, when I read something like that, I, re- I usually think about my kids. I have uh, three kids, and my second one, Jordan, man, he's always looking for angles for new toys. He's just, he, that's just, that's his angle all the time. He's always looking at, you know, what, what else can I buy now? What, what new toy can I have anytime we're, we're going? And he always uses that tactic. The urge, a strong urging, like, Dad, when do you think we can buy another toy? I said, I don't know, buddy, you know, whenever God, you know, blesses us and, and allows us to do, okay, I'm going to start thinking about what I want. I said, oh, okay. And then the next day he'll start thinking, dad, are we blessed yet? Can we go and buy one yet? No, no, not yet. And he's strongly urging me, right, to think about when, when that next toy is coming around. Peter is saying, church that I love, people that are dear to me, I strongly urge you to have this mindset. 
What, what is the mindset that we are to have? Well, notice, first of all, he says the mindset of aliens. The word is strangers there. It's the Greek word periokos, which means foreign resident. And really what Peter's speaking about is our citizenship. He's saying, remember where your citizenship is. Your citizenship is not here in this world. Now, this is the third time he talks about citizenship or sojourning. In chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about it. Chapter 1, verse 17, he talks about it. And now this is the third time. By time listen, by the time we say something three times, it's because it's pretty important. And he says, I just want to remind you that your mindset is one of a foreign resident. That our citizenship is not here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're simply ambassadors here. Now, when you view yourself as a foreign resident, there's things that you won't do. Now, how many have ever stayed in another country, maybe on vacation for like a week or two? Okay, good. Quite a few of us. Now, when we go and stay for a week or two, even though we're on vacation, we're staying and making a residence in that, in that nation that's not the nation of our citizenship, right? Now, I've noticed, and maybe it's because I'm poor, but anytime I go to another uh, country to vacation or just to visit, I'm not looking at the real estate market. I'm not looking to buy a house. Now, I, like I said, maybe it's because I'm poor. I don't know. But I know already I'm not living there. I'm going, I'm going to stay there, but I'm not going to live there. I don't go to uh, their immigration offices and ask about citizenship. I don't go and ask the Mexican consulate, how can I get a citizenship here in the country of Mexico? I, I don't do that in Central America. I didn't do that when I visited the Philippines with my wife. We, you don't do that. Why? Because I know I'm going as a foreign resident. I'm going and I'm going to stay there for a little bit, but that's it. So the citizenship, right, forces me to make certain decisions of what not to do with my time and what to do with my time. And Peter says, I just want to remind you guys, you are to have the mindset of, I'm an alien in this world. I'm not a citizen of this earth. There's something that's a future kingdom that I'm a citizen of, but it's not here on this earth. It kind of reminds me of Jesus' words to Pilate. If you remember when he was arrested and Pilate was questioning Jesus and Pilate asked Jesus, hey, so are you a king? And Jesus said, well, I don't know. You're the one telling me that I'm a king. I was born for this, for this cause what I live. And then, uh, and then Pilate was like, so you are a king. And Jesus said, well, are you asking me because you want to know? Are you calling me a king or, or did somebody else tell you that I'm a king? Pilate said, well, am I a Jew? I don't know. They came, they arrested you. They brought you to me. I don't know. I mean, I'm asking you, are you a king? And notice what Jesus replies to that question. I put it in your notes. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from thence. You see the mindset of Jesus himself? 
This earth is not my citizenship. My kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, then yeah, we'd be making different decisions, Jesus said. My followers would be taking up arms and we'd be fighting. There's nothing worth fighting for in this earth. The citizenship of this kingdom is too small. It's not big enough. It's not powerful enough. It doesn't have enough glory. Peter says, remember to have the mindset of a foreigner in a distant land. You know, when you're a foreigner in a distant land, you have different customs than those in that citizenship, right? You ever met somebody from a different country that's living in America? Right? They have different food that they like to eat. They have different customs. You go to a different country and they, they act different. They, they live differently than us. And if they're a foreign citizen and they're living here in our country, we, we learn about that and we see the different culture that they have. Now, there's a connection here that Peter's trying to say the same thing. If you're a foreign resident of this earth, your customs are going to be different. Your perspective is different. Your culture is different. Your values are different. We notice that those that have the mindset have different passions and different priorities. There's a young man that was very wealthy, very well off in this world. And he came to Jesus to ask him, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, fulfill the law. Honor your father and mother and do not lie and do all these good things. And the guy said, I've done them all. Which really tells us he wasn't self-aware of who he really was. Yes, his wealth had blinded him to who he really was. But Jesus said, fine. Then there's still one more thing you need to do because obviously I see you're trusting that your possessions identify who you are. He said, why don't you just sell everything you have? That way you'll have treasures in heaven and follow me. And the young man went away discouraged because he was really rich. And he said, I don't think I can do that. You're asking for a lot. And it's interesting because after that happens, then Jesus continues to walk and his disciples, Peter especially, comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, but we've left all. I know I didn't have as much as that guy, but I've left what I had. I've left everything to follow you. What happens for those that have left all, that have lived as foreign residents here? And notice what Jesus says. I put this in our notes. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children, lands with persecutions, but in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Love that last phrase. It helped me this week. I read that, as I said, through the book of Mark, and it helped me this week because I don't know if you saw in the news, but one of the longest standing senators passed away, Diane Feinstein, a woman that was against biblical truth, a woman that was immoral in the policies that she wanted to pass and that she fought for. 
And in this world, she was a well-respected senator. She was well off in her bank account. She was somebody when she got to the parties. She was somebody when she walked down the street. She was somebody when she stood in the Capitol to speak. But this week she woke up to a new reality. Though she may have been first in this world, she woke up to something last in the next. This is what Jesus is talking about. He said, in this world you have persecutions. You might lose your father or your mother or your houses. Or you might lose your wealth. But your citizenship and your existence isn't for this earth. It's for something greater. And just remember, you might be last in the world's eyes today and you might not be very important. Maybe you've had an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that lived faithfully for God and their, uh, their funeral didn't come out on Fox News. It's okay. Because the last shall be first. The citizenship that matters isn't on this earth. It's in the next life. The notice, he says, not only strangers, but he says, and pilgrims. Here, the Greek word is parapedimos, and it means a sojourner in a foreign place. It's to remind us of the temporariness of our residence. Strangers is our citizenship. This is, this is who you are. And so just when you're here, just remember, don't forget who you are, the customs that you're to have and, 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 the, and the passions that you are to have and, and the decisions that you are to make based on your citizenship. But pilgrims is a reminder that it's, it's going to pass by quick. I, I've noticed this in talking with those. I love talking with those that are older than me, those that have been on this earth longer because they've learned a lot of things in their journey. But one of the things that I've always found interesting is it really doesn't matter if you're talking to someone that's 45 or 65, 85, or 95. They all say the same thing. It's gone by so quick. Someone like myself that's only been here 39 years, I say, how, 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 how do you say it's been gone so quick? You're twice my age. And they say, yeah. 75 went by quick. You know, when Peter talks about being pilgrims, he's reminding you and me, it goes by quick. Not only are we aliens in this earth, but we are pilgrims. And as pilgrims, we just, we're different. We have a different view on things. We have a different view on what we invest in. And let me just say, if you've got enough money to have two or three houses, God bless you. That's great. I hope you're using them for the glory of God. I hope you're using it to advance the kingdom. Nothing wrong with having two or three houses. Can I say, if you're investing two or three houses thinking that's really what life is all about, man, you're missing the boat. 
because it's temporary. It is. It'll be gone pretty quickly. And if you don't invest now on what really matters, you'll miss your opportunity. Do you know that when we're in heaven, there's no more time to invest in helping those in need. There will be nobody in need. You can read Revelation chapter 21 and it says there's no death and no pain and no sickness. You know when the time is to help people that are sick right now? In this very small window of time that we have that goes by so quickly, it's the time to do it. Because you're a pilgrim, you invest differently and really what brings joy and satisfaction and peace is different. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 11 of those that have come before us with the hope that that they have, the same hope that we have today. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know why Abraham possibly the richest man on earth, didn't build a castle for himself, though he could afford it? You know why he didn't have two or three palaces? Why he always lived in tents and moved from place to place? Because he viewed himself as a pilgrim. You see the mindset that Peter's talking about? If you're going to make decisions... And love the consequences of your decisions, you're going to have to have a mindset of an alien and a pilgrim. As a foreign resident, saying, I'm living here, but I'm living here temporarily. So I got to view everything that way. How I treat people that way. What I do with my time, what I do with my money. Notice, secondly, quickly, our decisions. So with the backdrop of what our mindset is, it's easier to make or see the decisions that need to be made. And so Peter says, here's the mindset. You're a stranger and a pilgrim. So because you're a stranger and a pilgrim, number one, abstain from fleshly lusts. Here's a decision you have to make. Abstain from fleshly lusts. The word abstain is the Greek word Apekomine, it literally means to refrain from. When it comes to fleshly lust, we're to refrain from that. We're to hold ourselves back, to restrain ourselves. Because that's in constant war in our lives. It's what we fight against. Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, I put that in your notes. Paul says, in the Christian life, we're not, we're not using guns and we're not attacking a battlefield that is visible, but we are fighting spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare is against our flesh, it's against the world, it's against Satan and the principalities, the powers of this world. And so when, when we begin to submit and allow the fleshly lust to take over, we're losing the war, we're losing ground. It goes against who you are as a foreign resident and as a pilgrim. So here's what Peter is saying. Abstain from that. 
abstain from those desires. Now, you might be asking, well, Pastor Jeremy, what fleshly lust, what, what is that? Now, there's, two, there, there's three kind of lusts that we battle against, fleshly lusts and worldly lusts. Worldly lusts, the world, when you read uh, about the, in the New Testament, when it says, like, we ought not to be worldly, that doesn't mean you can't wear a suit or you can't wear, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. That's not what it's talking about. Worldliness is a philosophy. Worldliness is a viewpoint that says, I got to live for the here and now. It, it lives by the philosophy that the world teaches. For instance, the world teaches, hey, if you can tell people what to do, you're the boss, you're the man. Jesus said, in the spiritual world, in my kingdom, it's those that serve the most. They're the men. You want to be the greatest in his kingdom? Be the servant of all. I remember Dr. Gibbs saying this in chapel when I was in college. He would say, I wonder who the greatest is in here. He said, I I hope you're not surprised by me saying it's not the guy on the platform talking. In our world, it's the guy that has the TV. It's the guy that's in the center with the debate and all the podiums. That, that's the man. But the Bible says, no, that ain't the man. So when he starts talking about the fleshly lusts, he's not talking about worldly and the world's values. He's talking about what's in within us that we want to do naturally. You say, what is that? I put in your notes, Galatians 5, and I use the New Living Translation because I I like this the way that they translated these verses in the New Living Translation. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, that's the fleshly lusts, then the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty clear. You know what I've noticed in our world when I'm watching news or when you see what's going on in the lives of celebrities, or if you get on social media and follow some of these people, you know what you'll find? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. You'll find idolatry. That's living for anything but God. It's idolatry. Worshiping anything but God. You'll find selfish ambition. You'll find envy. You'll find drunkenness. Peter says, as aliens and pilgrims abstain, refrain from that. We're different. We're seeing more and more of that in our country today. People going to their fleshly lusts. He says, abstain from that. If you have that mindset, you'll abstain from that. Number two, keep. Keep. Verse, Verse number 12 is a continuance not a new sentence. It's, it's the same sentence. Having your conversation, the word conversation is your lifestyle, your behavior. So keeping your behavior, you'll notice the positive decision that must be made. On the negative side, stop doing this. Stop living after your fleshly lust. On the positive side, keep. Keep a godly lifestyle. The Greek word here is echo. It means to hold on to. 
that having, it means hold on to, a right kind of lifestyle. A lifestyle that is honorable to God. You say, well, what kind of lifestyle is that? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 5, verse 23, 22 and 23. Put it there in your notes. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is holding on to. Having your lifestyle reflect that. We're supposed to be different. Let me, let me just put it this way. How many people at your job see you as that? Do the neighbors in our neighborhood see us that way? Are we the ones that are always complaining, always hating on others? As aliens and pilgrims, we are to abstain, but we're, on, we're to hold on to certain things. Now, there's a warning that comes with that. Notice what he says in verse 12, right? He says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. In other words, if you do that, if you live honest and honorable before God, the world won't like it. Now, this is seen more and more in our country as well. Maybe you've noticed. It wasn't too long ago that a school board member in Arizona said, Christians are the problem in our schools. He said, we need more, more people that are diverse, living in immorality is really what she was saying. You know, those that are living after their fleshly, uh, fleshly lusts. We need more of them, those that are impure and those that are in drunkenness and in envies. That's what we need because Christians are the problem. We see that in government. We see that in businesses. We, speak, we see that everywhere. And our response as Christians ought not to be, well, they're idiots, though they may be. That's not the response. Peter says the response is pretty simple. Just keep living honorably. Just live honorably. Still do good. Jesus told his disciples, which you and I are part of those disciples, do good to them that persecute you. Love them that hate you. Love your enemies. That's your response. First Peter, we'll study this in a few weeks, chapter 2, verse 23, talking of Jesus, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So hard to do that. So hard to do that in our life. Let's finish this study, our results. What are the results when we make those kinds of decisions? Like abstaining and holding on to or keeping? Well, here's one result. Number one is that people will watch you closely. Now, it may not be fair, but you know that Christians are held to a higher standard because we're Christians in this world. Non-believers, people that don't go to church, they're always all too happy to criticize any Christian that fails, right? 
I mean, these Hollywood actors can be child abusers and rapists, and they'll overlook that. But, you know, a, a Christian uh, doesn't wear a, you know, a tie, and he's getting criticized by the world. A, a Christian simply wants to talk about values and a good home, like Kirk Cameron, and write a book about it, and now libraries don't want to let them in. It's a backwards world. But one thing that Peter says to Christians that were living in a Roman empire that, by the way, I, I was just reading this. I, I don't know, um, or maybe I was listening to it in a, in a message this week, but um, Nero, who was, who was the um, emperor in this time when Peter was writing this, did you know that after his wife died, he married a little boy and lived in a homosexual relationship as the emperor of Rome, as the leader. There was nobody writing to their representatives saying, what is, somebody needs to impeach that guy. You wouldn't dare say that, he'd light you on fire, literally. And in the midst of that culture, okay, we're not there yet in America. We're making our way, but we're not there yet. And even in that culture, Notice what Peter tells the Christians. I'm going to watch you closely. I'm going to watch you closely. So live an honorable life. Live a godly life. That word to watch us closely means to inspect. They're going to inspect our works. That's why Paul said in Titus chapter 2, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. They couldn't condemn Jesus of sin. They can only condemn them, condemn him of not liking what he said. They could only condemn him of living and doing the will of his father. That's it. Peter, who walked with him for three and a half years, said, I remember seeing that in him. And that's what he expects of us. So just know, one result is people will watch you closely. Number two, people will glorify God. It says at the end of verse number 12, in the day of visitation, the word visitation comes from the word, the Greek word episcopae means overseer. And God is the divine overseer in our lives and he visits us at different times. And a result of a visit from God is always his glorification. Some people believe that here when he, Peter writes this, a day of visitation, he's, he's talking about the day where God reveals himself to sinners and, and sinners now who were previously in darkness now see the light and they receive that hope. Others believe that he's writing about the day of judgment when all of those that rejected Christ will now see him for who he is. From which Paul writes in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will. Except those that do it later will do it later to their condemnation. And those that do it now will do it now to their salvation. 
But in either case, what we see as a result of the decisions of abstaining and keeping is the glory of God. This morning, as we go through our week of work, as we go through school, as we go through a life of retirement, whatever it is that you're living at in this stage of life, I want to encourage you, have a mindset that leads you to right decisions. A mindset that you're a foreign resident here and that it's just temporary. We're just passing through. It's a quick 80, 90 year pit stop. Not only having that mindset, but with that mindset, then abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts and hold on to what which is good and do good to others. Why? So that others might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Challenge is simply this this morning. One, will you make that mindset your mindset this week? Number two, will you decide to abstain and keep? Because you're going to have a, a chance to live out your fleshly lust this week. Abstain. Refrain from it. Number three, do you want God to be glorified in your life? Is that even important to you at all? Because it should be most important. More important than the great accomplishment of getting a reward, getting a bonus, getting a promotion, or getting a new project done. Should be God's glory. And God help us that with the hope that we have, that we make right decisions and enjoy the consequences that come with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And thank you for the hope that we have. And Father, I know there was a lot to unpack in these two verses. But Father, it's so easy to lose our minds while living on this earth. So easy to forget who we are. So easy to forget really where our citizenship actually is. Easy to forget that even 75 years is pretty fast. It's pretty temporary. Even 100 years goes by in a blink of an eye. Father, I pray that we'd have a mindset was like Christ our Savior's. And that, Father, we might make decisions based on that of abstaining from certain things that our flesh wants, that our feelings want, that the world wants us to do. I pray that we would hold on to that which is righteous and good and holy and honorable in your sight. So that even though In making good decisions, we might suffer persecution. We might be ridiculed and mocked. We might be laughed at. We might even go through suffering because of it. But at the end, Father, it's your glory. And that others seeing us making those decisions might find and finally see the hope that they need. The hope that they're heart is longing for the light that 
shoes away the darkness of their life. Oh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to apply your word into our hearts and into our lives. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.